Chapter Thirty One of the Inevitable. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock. The Inevitable by Louis Capuras, translated by Alexander Texiera de Matos. The Inevitable. Chapter Thirty One. In those hot May days, the big studio facing north was cool, while the town outside was scorching. Duco and Cornelie did not go out before nightfall, when it was time to think of dining somewhere. Rome was quiet; Roman society had fled; the tourists had migrated; they saw nobody, and their days glided past. He worked diligently. The banners was finished. The two of them, with their arms around each other's waists and her head on his shoulder, would sit in front of it, proudly smiling, during the last days before the drawing was to be sent to the international exhibition in Kingsbridge. Their feeling for each other had never contained such pure harmony, such unity of concord, as now when his work was done. He felt that he had never worked so nobly, so firmly, so unhesitatingly, never with the same strength, yet never so tenderly, and he was grateful to her for it. He confessed to her that he could never have worked like that if she had not thought with him and felt with him in their long hours of sitting and gazing at the procession, the pageant of women, as it wound out of the night of crumbling pillars to the city of sheer increasing radiance and gleaming palaces of glass there was rest in his soul now that he had worked so greatly and nobly there was pride in them both pride because of their life their independence because of that work of noble and stately art in their happiness there was much that was arbitrary they looked down upon people the multitude the world and this was especially true of him in her there was more of a quietude and humility though outwardly she showed herself as proud as he her article on the social position of divorced women had been published in pamphlet form and made a success but her own performance did not make her proud as duco's art made her proud proud of him and of their life and their happiness while she read in the dutch papers and magazines the reviews of her pamphlet often displaying opposition but never any slight and always acknowledging her authority to speak on the question while she read her pamphlet through again a doubt arose within her of her own conviction she felt how difficult it was to fight with a single mind for a cause as those symbolic women in the drawing marched to the fight she felt that what she had written was inspired by her own experience by her own suffering and by these only she saw that she had generalized her own sense of life and suffering but without deeper insight into the essence of those things not from pure conviction but from anger and resentment not from reflection but after melancholy musing upon her own fate 
not from her love of her fellow-women but from a petty hatred of society and she remembered duco's silence at that time his mute disapproval his intuitive feeling that the source of her excitement was not pure but the bitter and turbid spring of her own experience she now respected his intuition she now perceived the essential purity of his character she now felt that he because of his art was high noble without ulterior motives in his actions creating beauty for its own sake but she also felt that she had roused him to it that was her pride and her happiness and she loved him more dearly for it but about herself she was humble she was conscious of her femininity of all the complexity of her soul which prevented her from continuing to fight for the objects of the feminist movement and she thought again of her education of her husband her short but sad married life and she thought of the prince she felt herself so complex and she would gladly have been homogeneous she swayed between contradiction and contradiction and she confessed to herself that she did not know herself it gave a tinge of melancholy to her days of happiness the prince was not her pride only apparent that she had asked him not to tell urania that she was living with duco because she would tell her so herself in reality she feared urania's opinion she was troubled by the dishonesty of the life she called the intersections of the lines with the lines of other small people the petty life why so soon as she crossed one of these intersections did she feel as though by instinct that honesty was not always wise what became of her pride and her dignity not apparently but actually from the moment that she feared urania's criticism from the moment that she feared lest this criticism might be unfavorable to her in one respect or another and why did she not speak of virgilio's bracelet to duco she did not speak of the thousand lire because she knew that money matters depressed him and that he did not want to borrow from the prince because if he knew about it he would not be able to work free from care and her concealment had been for a noble object but why did she not speak of gilio's bracelet she did not know once or twice she had tried to say just naturally and casually look i had this from the prince because i sold that one bracelet but she was not able to say it she did not know why was it because of duco's jealousy she didn't know she didn't know she felt that it would make for peace and tranquillity if she said nothing about the bracelet and did not wear it really she would have been glad to send it back to the prince but she thought that unkind after all his readiness to assist her and duco he thought that she had sold the bracelets for a good sum he knew that she had received money from the publisher for her pamphlet he asked no further questions and ceased to think about money they lived very simply but still she disliked his not knowing even though it had been good for his work that he had not known 
These were little things. These were little clouds in the golden skies of their great and noble life, their life of which they were proud. And she alone saw them. And when she saw his eyes radiant with the pride of life, when she heard his voice vibrating with his new assured energy and pride, and when she felt his embrace, in which she felt the thrill of his delight in the happiness which he brought him. Then she no longer saw the little clouds. Then she felt her own thrill of delight in the happiness which he had brought her, and she loved him so passionately that she could have died in his arms. End of chapter 31